The scripture for today's sermon comes from Genesis 6, verses 11 through 19. The word of God speaks to us. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. This is the word of God to us. Well, good morning. Good morning, church. My name is Chad, and we get to walk through this uplifting section today right here. So uh, before we do it, I, I want to name one thing. Uh, I want you to save the date. I want you, uh, obviously, Derek put some things on the calendar, but I, I want you to save the date of December 3rd. That's a Sunday at 4 p.m., in the afternoon of that Sunday. And here's why. Because we want to come together for anybody that would like to, and we just want to have kind of like a town hall meeting around where the Lord is, is leading us with this particular space. We, we should have a couple things in place by then. And, and hear this. Uh, before, like the last thing Derek said to me before we walked up here was like, don't overpromise on the third. So I'm not going to overpromise on the third, all right? Uh, if you've seen the sphere in Las Vegas or like Sagrada Familia in Spain as a cathedral, like somewhere on that spectrum is what we're working towards for this place right here. And we're going to like show, hopefully show and talk through what God could do in and among us in this place on the third. In the afternoon, four to five, it'll be a, a quick thing. And we, we just want to like stir our hearts for faith in what God could do. All right, so put that on your calendar. I hope you'll join us here. If you're not there, we will not, for any reason, talk about it or give you all the details later on. So just know those things. Uh, we've got it. Uh, no, let's dive into where we're at in Genesis. Here is a story that has been so distorted and so like uh, it has turned into a, a, a children's meme and whether you've ever been in church or not, whether you've ever read the Bible or not, you are probably familiar. So I'm going to assume that you have some basic knowledge of this story. And we're going to sit in this. But, like, you just kind of notice a couple of things here. Like, this is crazy. This story is, is out of control. It is... Uh, 
buck wild and gnarlier than we give credit for. There are things here that definitely are like, hey, my, my friend downtown said, uh, this is not the VeggieTales version that you've seen. Like the Bible is actually far more like comes with a parental warning around all of this. And what we want to do is see it. And, and, and reclaim the history of this story that it is far more than just a, a kid's story. Like what we read, what we just read in here, uh, points back to what we've been talking about all through Genesis at this point. This detail-specific God who down to the very last detail of this story is like to this many cubits, to this many things right here. And if you, if, if you read through this story, and I'm only going to go through a handful of verses to, to give context for it, but as you read through the story, you'll see like the detail-specific God actually closes the door himself to the ark. We frame it up as a story that is about Noah and the flood and animals and all these different things. This is a story about God. This is a story about God, which, which because of it raises some really difficult and interesting things that we need to consider about God. Which is also why it's easier just to talk about floods and, and, and everything alongside that feel cute and fuzzy. I want us to see a, a number of things today. And so here's what I want to highlight as we walk through it. The authority of God. The authority of God to judge sin as God determines. We don't get to name what is sin and what is not sin. It is God who does that. It's the authority of God. Uh, but secondly, the story doesn't end just with that. It is the heart of God. It's the heart of God that we see and are told in the text today in which he grieves over sinful humanity. It's this heart of God on display right here in, in, in this history. And, and yet there's also the grace of God and what it means for us that in, in, the, mess, in, in the mess of this world, he still goes to undeserving people. And so I want you to pray with me and just ask for the Lord to, to do this work in us today, that we would walk out of here people who are, 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 are more in awe of God and more understanding of what he has done in and among us. And so, Father, we need you. We need you right now. We have all sorts of preconceived notions around the, the story of Noah and the flood and the animals and this ark. We have all sorts of preconceived ideas and we help that we, we ask for your help, your Holy Spirit to work in us right now to see your, your hand, your character, and your heartbeat in every bit of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's pick it up. This story uh, picks up in chapter 6 uh, as not just a disconnected thing. Remember, 5 is this genealogy. It's a list of names in that, but it, it, it comes out of something. Remember, they've been removed from the garden, and now we're generations past, and, and this story is part of it. Chapter 5 connects the dots between Adam and Eve and what happened here, and now uh, Noah, the generations that get you to Noah. 
And one of the things that we talked about last week is just the, the corrosive nature of sin. It's creeping and corrupting everything. And since the fall, since the fall in Genesis 3, sin has been leading to death, which is like their sin is this rebellion against the good purposes, the good plan of God, which we think we can do it on our own. I think I have this on my own. It's this rebellion about the goodness of God that first started in the, in the garden, but has spread now all over the earth, all over the earth. And so five has this recurring phrase, this phrase, the chapter five, it says, and he died. And he died. We're given all these names, and this person died. It's, it's unmistakable. And so all of these chapters up to this point have been giving us important gospel, uh, I'll call them shadows, but there's so much more. It, we, early on we read that there will be a seed of a woman, which I, I don't need to go into too much detail, but like that is biologically not how things work. A seed of a woman will come and make things right. A sin requires a sacrificial covering. There's a requirement of this that is now at place. And now what we get is that safety is inside God's means of provision. God is the one who provides this. And we see it right here in this chapter. So it, chapter 6 starts in the first few verses, 1 through 4, with this confusing and challenging text about sons of God who have made their way and, and noticed that the, the, the daughters are of man, it says, are, are attractive. And it gives us this account of the, the sons of God in which there, so much ink has been spilled and, and confusion over this. And I, I just real quickly want to name this because it, it calls them Nephilim. The Nephilim were walking the earth in this time. These angels, as the Bible proclaims them, these angels that have, have walked away in rebellion and then taken uh, like daughters of man and now uh, like all this sin. What we get after chapter 5 is... Is like a culmination of everything is a total mess on earth. Which leads us directly into the story. I just want to remind you, like, we come to this sometimes of like, wait a second, how does this work? And yet Genesis is written, Moses is writing these letters, these books, and Moses is writing to Israel post-exile to like in this to explain to them like how we got to where we are today and so they would understand some things if Moses is asking is asking these questions like why is the world the way that it is and what does all this mean and what is God going to do about it? These are the questions that that Moses is asking and answering before the people what's God going to do about it or, or can God do anything about this? Will God do anything about it? And, and just like, stop right there for a second. These are questions that we ask too, right? Like, how, how did this happen? And like, can, can God do anything about this? And, and will God do anything about it? Like, has, has the power of sin so overwhelmed this place that God, like, can't stop it or withhold it anymore? 
Does God have control over all of this? And uh, is, it, is this like a, a back and forth that's happening? And Moses is riding with the, the full knowledge of, of these worldviews and these questions. And he's speaking in opposition to them. At the very least, he's showing that there, that there is no being. There's nothing that the Lord cannot overcome. That there's, there's nothing that he doesn't reign supreme over from man and cultures to angels who've decided to go their own way. It's God who is supreme. Which leads us to this very first point that I, I want to make sure and cover. Verse 5 touches on it, the authority of God, the authority of God to bring justice to chaos, to bring justice to chaos. And before we get going and diving into this, let me just read verse 5 and, and, and give you something to look for. We, as we read the Bible, as we read through this, one of the things that will help you as we, as we go is to look for the verbs attached to God. It helps us to see because this isn't primarily a story about Noah and what Noah does. This is a story about God and what God's doing. And notice where this starts, where it finishes every aspect of it. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord saw. It's the activeness of God in this story, but, but really through every story that we need to catch. And I, I would send you to like Ephesians 1 and 2 and look through that. There's, uh, we could go to any page of scripture, but like Ephesians 1 and 2 will help you see like here is where we get this. All of chapter 1 is God doing every single thing, every single aspect of it. But can you just imagine in this like what, does, what God saw? It says that the Lord saw. We're, we're now in this at the beginning of ch chapter 6. The Lord saw. We have a glimpse of it. And Jesus himself is talking about it. Like Luke chapter 12 tells us this. Jesus shows us just how much God saw. In, chapter 12, in Luke chapter 12, he says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Remember, we're here in chapter 6, and it says the Lord saw the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart. The intentions of the thoughts of his heart. There's nothing in the dark that God doesn't see clearly. There's nothing. There's no whisper. There's no action. There's nothing that is done in a private room. Nothing even under the threat of silence. that God is unaware of. There's nothing that you are doing or thinking you're getting away with that God is unaware of. And, and folks, 
we are far from God. We do not see clearly. But we see things, don't we? We see things around us. We, we see things, though not completely. We see terrible things around us. We, we see it. We, read, we see the news. We read the headlines. We have these things. And you can experience and see things that you're like, this is awful. How is this happening in this world? How is this happening right now around us as we see the things in the Middle East or we hear stories on our own local news? Like, how is this happening? Why doesn't God step in and do something about it? Why is he not withholding his, this, this from happening to these children or these people? How is this not happening? We have some measure of this. And God's knowledge and God's vision is so much clearer than ours. This is a story about the authority of God. Uh, but it's, it's a story about the authority of God seen through judgment and justice. It's God's grace through these things, but it, it's certainly about more than those things, but it's not about less. We can never lose sight of it. It's the authority of God to bring justice to chaos. And we can, we can at times feel like, like this is a, an aspect of God's character that like, hey, let's just not talk about that. Let's not talk about those things. But what's, what's more true is that our problem isn't with, with judgment. I mean, we can look around and feel like, oh, you know what? I know some people that if, if I were judged, like, I would send a flood. We can look around at circumstances in this world and, and be like, I, I would know what to do with that situation. I would know what to do. We don't have a, as much a problem with the judgment of God as, as much as we do with the fact that we are not the judge. And that scares us. It scares us. Our problem isn't with someone being drowned by God's judgment waters. All of us are there. It's, it's that we're not the judge. And deep down we know that. And it makes us nervous. It makes us a little shaky. And that is part of the wildness of this account because we look at it and we, we, when you look at the volume of evil around us and recognize that it, divine judgment is no surprise. It's no surprise. The surprise in a story like this is that God saves anyone. It's that God would save anyone. We'll come back to more of that later. You see, because judgment is, isn't just like something God has to do. God is just. Judgment is part of his character. And what's the alternative? What's, the alternative would be for God to have all the power and all the authority and then just to ignore these things that are happening. And that is so much worse. That's so much worse that God would just look away, that God would just say, ah, oh, you know what, it's not that bad, and you just wipe it away. No, God, because he is just, actually goes to it. He goes to it and says, no, this cannot stand. And here's where we see this. Sin cannot be ignored. It must be dealt with. And all through the Bible, like all through the Bible, we see that God's judgments 
are motivated by his love. It's by his love. You see, here is an enormous error that so many people who profess the name of Jesus make is that we think, sometimes we think that, no, because of Jesus, he just ignores my sin. He just ignores it, or he just looks the other way and stuff. And and friends, that is an error that will lead straight to hell because God does not ignore our sin. He deals with it, and he pays for it completely. Completely. Hear these words. When we we want to run away and we want to turn our eyes, remember, God does not. Hear the words from Scott Saul's book. For, for love to be truly loving, there must be judgment. If there's no judgment, then there is no hope for a slave, no hope for a rape victim, a child has been, who has been abused or bullied or people who have been slandered or robbed or had their dignity stolen. If, if nobody is called to account before a cosmic judgment seat, for violence and oppression, then the victims will never see justice. Catch this. We need a God who gets angry. We need a God who will protect his kids, who will once and for all remove bullies and and perpetrators of evil from his playground. We need this God. And yet we we live in a moment in which we, want, we, we just want to look another way and we want to reduce this story to God loves animals. And so if you're a parent and you come home with a coloring sheet, it's on you today to draw in all the other parts, okay? It's on you. But this is the account of the flood. It's a revealer of the authority of God to deal with sin. But that's not all, right? Because it doesn't just end here. It it also reveals to us the second part, the heart of God that grieves for sinful humanity. The heart of God that grieves over it. And here's the very next verse, because it doesn't just stop in verse 5. It goes on to verse 6. And again, we're looking at the verbs. God saw, he saw this so clearly. Verse 6 says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord regretted. The Lord grieved. And this is important work for us. We don't always like dive in and say, hey, well, here's the Hebrew and here's how this works together, all these things. But this is important for us because if we read this the way we use the term regret, then we're like, well, God made a big mistake, didn't he? And he saw that he made a big mistake. And now he's in the business of turning this around. But the Hebrew doesn't mean it the same way. It's more like lament. Or it's God, it's a heaviness of heart. God felt the weight and he grieved over it. He grieved over what had become of his image bearers. It grieved him to the core. 
You see, this picture of divine judgment isn't a God who's delighting. It isn't him delighting in destruction. It's a picture of God executing judgment with tears in his eyes. What does that even mean? How does, how does that play out? It, it means that by God's will and decree out of his own love that God has bound his heart with that of his image bearers. This is why it's so important that we walk from page one straight into this. This is why we didn't just start here or cherry pick stories that we would like to talk about. It's why we started with God in his good creation. It's why we started with that people are different than animals and different than the world around us, but image bearers of God that from the very beginning, he has knit together in a unique way for a unique purpose. He didn't have to connect himself to us. He didn't do it because he needed us to complete him. He did it for a bigger purpose. When he see, and when he sees something go wrong with his image bears, when he sees us in rebellion against him, what does it do? It grieves him. It grieves him. God saw, God saw that the wickedness of man was great. And it says that it only evil continually. And if this is the world that he saw then why all this effort to save Noah? Why are we still here with all that was happening, with all that is being laid out of it? Like, why is anyone still here? God knew that sin was coming. God knew that sin was happening. He knew the wreckage of all of it, even before creation. And God knew that people would sin. God knew that you would sin and that I would sin and that we would be a wreck he knew that it would cost him. He knew these things. But here's where we, we start to see more and more of the picture. We don't, we don't get all of it right here in chapter 6 or ch through chapter 8. We don't get all of it, but we start to see more and more. We get the, this glimpse of a God suffering, grieving for his people and for the world. And yet it leads us directly in to this third turn, God's the rescue that God provides. It's the authority of God that is never in question. It's the heart of God that comes in and that we see right here on display, but it's also the rescue that God provides. And this is one that we take for granted, right? We're like, oh man, I remember I prayed a prayer once and I, and I, I feel like I really meant it. I did this and, and I said something. I, I, I walked in the aisle or did these types of things. And yet, like God provides the rescue, Remember, it isn't like, hey, what did you do to do this? It isn't your verbs that matter here. It's God's verbs. It's God who provides the rescue. In chapter 6, verse 7 says, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, 
Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Remember, like when we came to the sacrifices last week and we were talking about Cain and Abel, it was like, uh, why, why, why did one, why did God have such a big problem with Cain? Why was God here and, and all stirred up about this? No, like, how, how do you walk with God? How do you find with this? How do you find favor with God? You come through his means to his grace. You come through his means to his grace. Which is, at this point in the history of man, and forever in the history of man, but it's being spelled out right here, you come through the sacrifice. And so we can't presume, like, well, Noah was just this, like, superstar. No, Noah's a mess as well. Noah's some sort of rock star. He's some sort of, like, uh, spiritual superhero that the Bible impacts. No, Noah is a mess as well, except he's coming through a sacrifice, and for whatever reason, God decided to, like, found favor on Noah and said, I'm going to place on this one man grace in this as a representative, as a picture of everything that I'm doing as, as my rescue that I am providing. So think about the story. Think about it. While, while the entire world is carrying on saying like, God, I don't need you. I can do my own thing. Noah says, I believe you. I trust you. And for a hundred years, there's no rain. And Noah says, I believe you. I believe you. I'm going to walk in your ways. I'm going to do this. And as a result, when, when the waters did come, Noah had followed after God. And God's means of rescue was right there. You see, the, the story of Noah teaches us about God's offer of salvation through one man. Through one man and the righteousness of that one man. That's what, that's what we're getting to here. It's a picture of it. It's not saying, hey, Noah is the greatest. It's the story of Noah points beyond itself to our need of a greater Noah. To our need of one who is better than Noah. Because Noah is not going to take away the, the rest of it. We're in chapter 6 through 8 right here. But there are a whole lot more pages uh, of man making a mess of things. And so we don't just need Noah. And we don't just need a boat. We need a greater Noah. To one who is truly righteous and finds uh, a complete favor with God. To one who doesn't fail at the end of his life the way Noah did, but does all that God commands until his dying breath. You see, this, this flood story points beyond itself to our need for the true ark of salvation, the one that covers perfectly and so in, in eight chapters here, in eight chapters, we've been given so much that cannot be ignored. Life with God is what we were designed for as his image bears. Okay, so we've been given shadows of the gospel all along the way. We've been given these pictures that will, will play out every page of scripture moving forward. Like life with God is what we were designed for because we're his image bearers. His image bears. Sin is corrosive to everything, and it has far-reaching consequences. 
It has consequences in ways that we could never imagine. It will take you further, faster than you ever thought you could go. Sin is corrosive. And yet one day, there is a seed from a woman that restores all that was lost. One day. And even though we're no longer in the garden, even though we're no longer in the garden, here's what we get in the story. There is a way back to God. There's a way back to God through his sacrifice, through his provision, through what he does. The true and better Noah, Jesus himself. John 5 helps us to see this. John 5 helps us to see. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You see, Jesus is the better Noah, and Jesus is the true ark. He who hides himself in Jesus, he who is in Christ, covered under the blood of Jesus. Has found the only hope on earth that there is. The only hope. It's through his crushing. It's, it's through the crushing judgment that Jesus suffered on the cross that you and I, that you and I will experience salvation through no other means. It's by hiding ourselves in him and in him alone that we can be saved. Not through good works, not through regular attendance, not through cleaning ourselves up and trying to sit up straight or singing a song or serving here or there or any other place. It is only through Jesus. It's his righteousness that is our benefit before God. But not just to a few, but to all who would enter into his grace. You see, the flood, the flood wasn't only judgment. It was salvation through judgment. Anybody could have gotten on that ark and everybody was warned. They walked by and they mocked him. They walked by and they said, it's never going to rain. It's not that big of a deal. And, and guess what? There were probably all sorts of well-intentioned, nice people who were living good and moral lives who thought, one day I will get to it. One day I will get to it. But we're never told when that one day is. Jesus takes all the judgment upon himself. All of us who have rejected God and rebelled against God's, our sins must be dealt with and it cannot be ignored. It won't be ignored. But God in his grace that we see through this story takes it all upon himself. He does every bit of it. And so here are the questions that I would have for you. I would just say, have you been walking by Jesus? Have you been walking by his grace? Have you come to church maybe your whole life even? 
and, and talked a good game, sang a good game, looked apart and never actually submitted your life to the saving work of Jesus? Are there areas in which you're standing outside talking about how the art could be shaped differently and bringing all your good ideas to how this is? And yet the Lord himself is saying, it's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. And are there spots in your life in which you think or feel are hidden away from him? Dark corners, you're like, I think, I think I've got this. Like, God, like I, I'm walking with you, but these areas are over here. And are you fooling yourself into thinking that these are hidden? Are you fooling yourself into thinking that you're walking in his ways? The very words of the story say, he sees them. He sees them. And he has made a way for you to experience his grace and his love. Will you bow your heads with me?